riots are continuing, the defunding of the police is beginning, and the career of Hillary Clinton is ending. I'm Josiah Evertson, and this is The Glorious Rescue. Welcome to the first ever full-length episode of The Glorious Rescue. I have to begin with a little bit of a disclaimer here, and that is that I have definitely struggled with where to begin. Where do I even start? And as I look back at the last few months where I've been working towards starting this podcast, there's just an absolute endless array of places where I could begin. Do I begin with the whole COVID-19 situation and fact and fiction and discussing government overreach and overregulation? Do I begin with the George Floyd case and all the actions that have ensued thereafter? Or do I begin with all the new unfoldings, the unfoldings with Obamagate and Hillary Clinton with her emails, all those different situations? And we will cover all of those different situations. And as those stories continue to develop, I will continue to relay that information to you and giving you my opinion on those certain topics. But for this first ever episode, I want to tackle with you probably the most controversial case right now being the George Floyd situation and his death, the actions that have ensued thereafter, and the route America has chosen to go on because of that situation. So yes, we're going to begin this show with probably one of the most controversial situations, one of the most controversial actions, but in reality, I do not believe it is as controversial as the mainstream media makes it out to be. I believe that they have polarized us on this situation, and that Americans as a whole generally agree on the majority of items that this whole situation has consisted of. So we're going to jump into it. Here's how we're going to go about it. First of all, we're going to look at the report, the actual incident, what occurred. Then we're going to view the riots that followed. And lastly, we're going to take a look at racism as a whole in America. We're obviously not going to do a very deep study of racism throughout American history, but what we are going to do is examine the evidence for racism in America today. And in light of that evidence, formulate a proper, cohesive opinion on the subject and the policies that we should pursue thereafter. I'm breaking it down into these three categories because I believe that the mainstream media often colludes all three and tries to make us agree with all of them or none of them as a whole, rather than being able to look at them separately and be able to make perfectly normal opinions on all three of them separately. And we'll get into all of it a little bit more as we progress into the episode. Just for all of you as listeners' information, we are now available on six platforms, those being Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spotify. And over the next week or so, we should be releasing on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and Overcast. So I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of that update. So as you continue to share our episodes and segments that you enjoy from the show, just know that for all of our friends who listen on Apple Podcasts and whatnot, that it will be released soon and shortly, and hopefully this week. Again, a quick reminder, if you guys do want to share, there are many ways you can do that. If you're listening on Spotify, there's an actual share button that you can press. If you're listening to it on another platform, you can open it up in that platform as you're playing it. Screenshot it. Just remember if you're going to post it on your Instagram story to tag The Glorious Rescue. Another interesting way that you could share the show is if there's a particular quotation that I give or a certain phrase that you like, go ahead and quote it. Put it on your story and tag The Glorious Rescue in it so people can see what's being said here on the show. I will not. I absolutely refuse to continue to pound the idea of, if you're listening to the show and you enjoy it, subscribe, follow, all that. I think that if I've not done my part and done my absolute best in earning your desire to listen to the show, then I don't necessarily deserve your listen. But if you would like to share it, those would be the best options on how to do so. Now, let's jump into the death of George Floyd. A little over two weeks ago, on May 25th, a man by the name of George Floyd 
was killed. He was detained by four Minnesota police officers, the primary being a Derek Chauver. He was detained for a total of nine minutes before he died, and during that time frame, he repeatedly said that he could not breathe. The slogan that's ringing out right now is, I can't breathe. Those were his last words. And throughout his process of being detained, he was put on the floor in handcuffs, and the Minnesota police officer, Derek Chauver, placed his knee on George Floyd's neck to the point of suffocation. And he did so. George Floyd even went unconscious and stopped stating that he could not breathe. And the Minnesota police officer continued to dig his knee into George Floyd's neck until he died. George Floyd was murdered. And I think that's pretty uncontroversial to say. I think most people are willing to acknowledge that. That the death of George Floyd was a murderous death. And the individual who committed that crime should be held accountable, being the police officer. Right now, the police officer, Derek Chauver, is being charged with murder. Rightfully so. And the three officers surrounding him that did nothing are also being charged with a little bit less severe crimes. The crimes are aiding and abetting. And this is a little bit controversial because they didn't necessarily aid, they just did not hinder. And yes, it was still wrong. I know I'm trying to defend those three officers that really were complicit in the action. Not to the full extent of Derek Chauver, but still should be held accountable. All I am actually doing is just simply making the case that the charges that are being brought up currently against those three other officers are probably not the charges that they could be held accountable for. And probably other charges would more safely assure that they will be found guilty for the crimes that they are being charged for. Aiding and abetting might not be the crime that they could be punished for, and because I do believe they should be punished, the charge might not necessarily be the most accurate as I feel that it should be. Regardless, all four officers were in the wrong. It was an act of murder. I believe that that is the general consensus of most Americans. I do not believe that the overwhelming vast population of America believes that it was okay for that officer to keep his knee on George Floyd's neck because he had a counterfeit $20 bill. And I believe that not only are the protests trying to argue that most Americans are trying to defend the police officer, but I believe that the entire mainstream media and what we're seeing even on social media now pervading through social media is the fact that all Americans are siding with the police officer and and whatnot. And that is absolute garbage. I believe that most Americans can look at it and recognize that it was a horrible act and should not have happened and the officer should face full consequences of his actions. Another key takeaway I do believe we can learn from this is a possible policy change. And that is more accountability in the police force. I am 100% happily and completely ready to admit that. That we should have more accountability in the police force. Those three officers standing around and not doing anything raises some questions, of course. The officer, Derek Chauver, who actually committed the act, had 18 formal complaints against him in his last 18, 19, 20 years of service, I believe. And according to some quick research I did, it looks like that is above the national average for police officers to get complaints. Those numbers can be looked into a little bit more, but I do believe the officer did have previous acts that he had formal complaints against him for. So because of those previous formal complaints and because there were officers around who did nothing, I think it is fair to say that we should have more accountability in the police force. I also think it's fair to say that black lives matter. And when we say that, I don't necessarily think we need to have the caveat of, well, yes, black lives matter because all lives matter. White lives matter and Hispanic lives matter and Asian lives matter. And so therefore black lives matter. Yes, that is true. All lives matter. But this was a single act of murder against a black individual. And obviously a, a keynote that most fail to recognize is that we don't necessarily know if it was racially motivated. It could have just been a horrible act of murder that the police officer committed and it might not have necessarily been just because he was black. That being stated, it's okay to say black lives matter and not give the caveat that you're only stating that because all lives matter. 
The act of racism and the attitude of racism really is a horrible act. It's heinous to discriminate someone based on the color of their skin and say that because you have a different color than I, you are morally inferior and you are now subject to violence because of the color of your skin. That's horrible and it's wrong and it's okay to say that black lives matter. I will say that I believe for the majority of conservatives, it is scary to say black lives matter because they don't want to be lumped into the category of supporting the Black Lives Matter organization. And I will say personally, I do not want to be lumped into the category of supporting the Black Lives Matter organization because they have done more to hurt the black community than they have done to help. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But I do not feel the need to give the caveat of, well, all lives matter when I say black lives matter. If this is a situation where it was a horrible act of racism against black lives, I can empathize. And once again, I do believe that that is very uncontroversial, or at least it definitely 100% should be uncontroversial to say black lives matter and that it's okay to say black lives matter. If there was an act of racism against an Asian American, we would say, look, hey, Asian lives matter. Once again, the only reason I believe it is hard for conservatives to use the, I guess you can say, quote unquote, hashtag black lives matter is because of their lack of desire to support the black lives matter organization. Not because they do not believe black lives matter, but because they do not believe that that organization truly helps the black community. I do get frustrated though listening to conservatives say, George Floyd wasn't even a stand-up person in the black community, served five years in prison for a quote-unquote story where he held a gun to a pregnant woman. He was convicted on charges of robbery, and the police officers in the first place were being called to the scene because of a counterfeit bill, and one of the autopsies after his death revealed that he did have drugs in his system. So those are all facts, right? Those are true, but just stating those facts makes it sound like you're justifying the action of the police officer, and that should not be done. It is fair to say that George Floyd should not necessarily be posted as the martyr for the black community. Martin Luther King, great. George Floyd, it was an act of horrible violence against a black man that should never have been committed. But I'll make the statement, just because someone dies, someone is murdered, without justification, a horrible murder, just because his death was not justified and was violent and was horrible and wrong and racist doesn't necessarily mean he should be held up as a martyr. And that's fair to say it's true for any person of any race of any color. There are people of any particular race who die unjustly that don't necessarily need to be held up as the martyr. What I will say is that the protests that have followed are okay. And this is kind of the segue into the second part, being the riots. I will make a distinction, obviously, between the protests and the riots. We have the right to peacefully protest. There is not an express amendment per se in the Constitution or the, the Bill of Rights specifically stating that we have the right to peacefully protest. However, it falls under, I would say, our freedom to assemble. We have the right to assemble. And a protest is no different than any other assembly that you believe something has been done that was unjust, that was wrong or violent or immoral, myriad of reasons. And now you are going to rally with a large group of Americans who believe in the exact same thing to protest something, to stand up for what you believe, and to share that message with the rest of the world. I totally stand behind protests. And now we're going to get into the idea of the riots. There's a vast difference between the protests and the riots. Protests, you're standing up for what you believe. You're rallying with a large group of Americans to share a message. Riots are to produce terror, violence, and horror on innocent people. You see it all over social media now. The initial protests were to protest the death of George Floyd, an act of racism. And yet for some reason, now we will see videos all over social media of those same people rioting black-owned businesses, beating innocent black people, 
please explain to me how that proves your cause. Please explain to me how the destruction of private property and the beating and taking of innocent human life is supposed to rally people to your cause. Not only is it unproductive, but it is counterproductive. And a lot of times when we say counterproductive, we think it just means it doesn't help your cause. No, it hurts your cause. The vast majority of Americans are looking at these individuals now rioting as these fringe individuals. I'm not even going to get into the idea of Antifa, a terrorist organization now labeled by Trump, and rightly so, who in the name of anti-fascism promote horrible ideas, are now backing the riots. You've seen the videos of bricks staged for these rioters. Bricks are being placed prior to the riots in key areas just to bring more violence to the communities. It is heartless, it is horrible, and it is wrong. And there's no justification for it. I've heard it stated, well, you can't blame the black community. They tried peacefully protesting, and it never worked. And now they just have to resort to these tactics as a last-ditch effort. And to that, I say absolutely not. Look at Martin Luther King. Peaceful, nonviolent protester. In fact, Martin Luther King said, returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Trying to use the murder of George Floyd as a justification for the destruction of innocent lives is inexcusable. It is wrong, and those individuals should be held accountable for it. Again, I do not believe we have even remotely crossed into controversial territory yet. I believe that the vast majority of Americans agree that George Floyd was murdered, that it was wrong, it was horrible, the officers should be punished for it. Mostly Derek Chauvin. I also believe, furthermore, that most Americans do not agree with violent riots to try to prove a point that is counterproductive to that point and destroys that point. I believe most Americans agree that we all have the right to peacefully protest and that they are happy for the black community to do so, or people outside the black community to protest for the Black Lives Matter movement. It is when you cross that threshold of violence, you cross the threshold of the destruction of private property and the destroying of innocent human life to do so. I mean, some of the stuff that they're doing just doesn't even make any sense. Defacing the Lincoln Memorial? In the days in which he was elected, the South began seceding from the Union because he knew the stand he took against slavery. That very president, yes, the first Republican president, the Republican Party being founded as an anti-slavery party, it was that president, Abraham Lincoln, who took such a strong stand against slavery, and the South knew it that they seceded before even giving Abraham Lincoln a shot at being their president. That Abraham Lincoln, they're defacing his memorial. Just so you know, Abraham Lincoln said, there is no grievance that is a fit object of redress by mob law. Meaning there's no wrongdoing that justifies the action of trying to undo that action with mob law, with rights. Abraham Lincoln said that. And I fullheartedly agree. And I believe most Americans do so. So today we really only got through the actual report and then the riots that followed thereafter. Uh, in the case of George Floyd and his death, we didn't get to discussing racism as a whole, because that is definitely coming up. We're going to spend a large chunk of next episode discussing a lot of the ramifications that have come here after all the riots, specifically all the catchphrases, implicit bias, white privilege, systemic racism, and so on. We're going to talk about all of it, look at the evidence, have some much-needed conversations, the conversations that are needed for the healing of our nation. But first, we're going to have our very first end-of-show segment. I'm extremely excited, so let's get right into some founding era.
Today's brief discussion for our founding era is just simply going to consist of one topic, and that is the correlation between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States of America. I will emphatically claim that the overwhelming majority of political problems we face in our nation is due to a lack of understanding of our founding documents. And the Declaration of Independence and Constitution of the United States are two of the most important of those documents. So how do these two correlate? One was written in 1776, the Constitution being written in 1787 and ratified the next year. So like I mentioned, the topic of discussion today is the correlation between the two. How do they correlate? Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, does an exceptional job delineating this discussion. The Declaration of Independence begins in the universal and ends in the particular. What I mean by that is it starts off with when in the course of human events, and so on. It starts generally. It's referencing any time if tyranny reigns in a certain state, it is the duty of those citizens to therefore claim independence from that state and set up a new government. Obviously, it states prudence will dictate this. And as it continues throughout the document, it becomes more and more particular, finally narrowing down the King of England's grievances and wrongdoings against the English people, and then obviously independence being declared. The Declaration of Independence can almost be viewed as the negative to the Constitution's positive. The former is the declaring from, and the latter is the declaring to. The first being what we are not going to be, the second what we are going to be. And I believe this is a needed conversation right now specifically. I'm seeing a lot of these rights being correlated to American patriots during the colonial era. And I will just simply state one line of the Declaration of Independence that says prudence will dictate. And as we look around the world around us, the riots and so forth, I ask the question, do you think that prudence is dictating their actions? There's no real correlation between the two. And it is not only disrespectful, but disgusting to try to argue that the riots I so vehemently opposed earlier in this episode are to be correlated with the prudent, courageous, and sacrificial forefathers of our nation. Anyways, going back to those two documents, the former sets the foreground for the latter, meaning the Declaration of Independence is freeing us from that tyrannical state, declaring that we will be a sovereign nation. And then a decade later with the Constitution is the framing of the government that we lacked under the British rule. And that is how those two coincide. I 100% recommend you listen to Larry Arn for more information on it. This is obviously just a two or three minute overview of this subject. But it is such a beautiful correlation that I think is missing and is never really discussed in our world around us. So yes, this was our first end of show segment. These are probably what I'm most excited about for this podcast. We will definitely be getting into some that are a little bit more applicable. To me, this just uh, this fit very well into the dialogue of the current events of, of today. And so I really wanted to bring it up. But in the future, like I mentioned, one of the ones I'm definitely anticipating is Teach the Speech, where we're just going to go through speeches throughout history. Anyways, I have a long list of unique end-of-show segments that I'm extremely excited for you and me to journey through. And I will say that you will probably feel like the future ones are a little bit more applicable, but that was the message I wanted to carry through this episode today. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this very first full-length episode of The Glorious Rescue. Again, please share. I won't be asking for your listens, your follows, your subscriptions. You know what to do with podcasts if you enjoy them. But as far as sharing, if you'd like to do that, please do. Again, I think a unique way would be to post a quotation on your story. Make sure to tag The Glorious Rescue on Instagram. Give us a follow over there at The Glorious Rescue on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josiah Evertson, and this is The Glorious Rescue.